When the world zigs, you have to zag. When the world runs one way, run the other way. Go find the place that no one else is looking. I didn't need other people to say, hey, great idea. In fact, everyone at that time told me I was a complete idiot. And I just had to trust my instincts and learn to be okay with being alone. I'm Carly Zakin. And I'm Danielle Weisberg. Welcome to 9 to 5-ish with The Skin. We've run into so many questions over the years and had so many moments where we needed advice and we got it from women who'd been there. And that's what we're bringing you with this show. Each week, we're helping you get what you want out of your career by talking to the smartest leaders we know. Because we know your work life is a lot more than nine to five. All right, let's get into it. Hey everyone, it's Danielle. Today, our guest is Alexa Von Tobel. In 2008, she dropped out of Harvard Business School to start her first company, LearnVest, a set of tools to help millennials navigate personal finance. In 2015, Northwestern Mutual acquired LearnVest for $375 million. Alexa's been pretty busy since then. She has three children, two books, and as of 2019, another company, Inspired Capital. And this year, she and her co-founder, Penny Pritzker, raised $281 million for their second funding round. Alexa was on this show back in 2018 before Inspired Capital. So we're very excited to have her back. Alexa is a longtime advisor to the skim as well. So we're really excited for this conversation. Let's get into it. First of all, hi, Danielle. I'm so happy to be here. It's so fun. I feel like we may as well be sitting by a fire to have this chit chat. I'm pretty happy about it. I am too. Okay. So let's start with a warm up. We're going to do a lightning round, quick questions, quick answers. First job on your resume. I worked at my parents' office when I was 13 years old, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, every summer. And I loved it. I was uh, like in a literally back office of a medical practice. Uh, Most recent job on your resume. Inspired Capital Managing Partner. Do you have any hobbies or special skills? I like, I love that. I'm like, do I have any skills? <laughs> I'm also um, like, I don't know how you would have time for a hobby. I have this joke, which is that I literally, my hobby is building companies and it just mm-hmm. became my job. And so I always joke, I have no hobbies because it's just what I do full time. Honestly, I would build anything all day long. I love building. It took me till I was mid thirties to realize I would literally start companies, help people build them all day long for free. It's my favorite thing to do. And I particularly like the really hard parts when it's not going well and it's breaking and things are hard. How many more meetings or events are on your calendar today? 19 more. (laughs) Oh my God. When and where was your last vacation? I just took one. My husband and I went by ourselves for three days to St. Bart's and honestly didn't know what to do with ourselves. That's amazing. Last TV show you binge watched. Oh my God, so many. The morning show and the undoing, both. Finish this sentence for me. What best describes your work day? Working nine till? Is there an end of the day? (laughs) Yeah. I would also say your days start like pretty early, pre-COVID at least. I feel like I was summoned at like 7 a.m. before the, at the time, two kids got up. I mean, I'm just up sometimes at four or five. And so I just go with it. And then I don't really know how to stop until 11. Okay. How do you relax? So you probably would assume I don't know how to relax. Yep. I actually (laughs) think I'm pretty good at it, but it's taken practice. So I think 
I know how to shut off. You can ask any of my best friends that like there's a switch. I'm like, damn, scene, we're done. And I can kind of put the day behind me. And I think it's actually an important skill set being an entrepreneur is that like you can actually shut the day off. I think that is a very important skill set. Do you check your email on the weekends? Like any tips that help you turn off? So I try Friday night is like family night with our little pod and often just just family or like immediate best friends. Saturday is a family day, starts early, and I will not check email for the most. I mean, I check, like, you'll make sure nothing urgent is happening. Mm-hmm. But pretty much from, like, morning until, you know, I'll probably really do a check-in in the afternoon just to make sure nothing's popped up. And so Saturday really is, like, a day that I kind of shut off. All that said, I think that the best method is a mindset shift of just everything will get done. Just not letting any singular thing stress you out too much because everything gets done. And that takes, yeah. that's honestly, Danielle, 15 years of practice of being an entrepreneur. I'm still getting there, but I feel like I'm getting better at it. When did you first start getting interested in money and personal finance? It really was pretty straightforward. When I was undergrad at Harvard, I remember saying to myself, I want to be good at making sure I can be an adult. And manage my finances. And, you know, I'm not like a super materialistic person. I was like, never like, oh, I want to have six homes. I just want to not worry about money. I want to be able to take care of my future family and kids. And I want to do it really well. And so I started learning about it and then realized it was absolutely abysmal. There's nowhere to learn about it. And so that's why Learn Best was born. And then the more I've gotten into it, you know, I really love investing. And I started as an investor. Now I run a venture capital firm focused on investing. And I realized I really sincerely enjoy investing in particular in the category of helping stand-up businesses. So you started LearnVest, you grew it, you sold it, and you've moved on. Now, when you think about the personal finance landscape, are there different problems that you think are, are facing people, especially women, that you think need more information or more tools to solve than when you were first starting LearnVest? So the good news and the bad news. The bad news is so many of the problems that existed a decade ago are still here. The bad news is financial literacy is still abysmal. It's not taught in high schools and colleges. The average understanding of our own wallets for the everyday person, including educated people, is not great. The opportunity of like the new things that have been added to the plate are crypto, Bitcoin is a new entire concept. You now have the average person living significantly longer. Truly, you know, Danielle, our grandparents, or nice grandparents were supposed to live to like 75, 80. And now it's like maybe 100, maybe longer because of technology. And so retirement's a bigger issue. And so there's just things that have been added to the plate. And then I'll just say, you know, I was, I was one of the first fintech companies that existed. In fact, somebody was just in my office being like, Alexa, when you were doing it, it was like no one even knew what to call you. And now... There's a proliferation of the publics, the Robin Hoods, the Chimes, et cetera, of the world that are helping more and more people think about their wallet. But this full solution of financial planning and pure education still doesn't exist. That's a big opportunity right now in the market. One question that, that I get asked a lot that I have really no experience in answering because I didn't go to business school is how do you think about that decision? You went, you dropped out. Obviously, things worked out. Looking back on it, how do you answer that when people come to you for advice? So first of all, I would say for everybody, if you're going to live 100 years, going to school for two extra more years is a great decision. You get to go back to school. I really have a love of learning. And that's one of the other things I've really realized is genuine for me. Like 
in my free time, I'm going to listen to a podcast and catch up on a topic that I wanted to better understand. And so going back to school is a genuine gift you get to give yourself. The bigger gift of it is all the friends you make. And life is so short, making more friends and creating genuinely wonderful relationships, I would do in a heartbeat. And so what I would tell everybody is, as long as you're going to a school that is worth the bill of the $200,000 bill that it costs, where you're going to make more than that and be able to for sure pay that bill back. So I would say top schools in the country, yes. You know, something where you're not going to get that. There's so many educational outlets online from Khan Academy to just TED to Google. Yeah. Go learn that way, the skim, right? The last thing I would say was I kind of felt like I found a perfect hack, which was I went for 91-ish days, made all the friends, saved all the bills. And I think technically I'm an alumni. I'm like, that may be the best financial hack of my life. All jokes aside, I, I would absolutely recommend people go for the relationships. In those 91 days, aside from, you know, meeting the people, was there anything you learned that gave you the confidence that was like, okay, now it's my time. This wasn't my path, but I did find that I'm ready to do it. I'm ready to start my own company. Lehman Brothers went under. And it was more of uh, just this strong message in my head. It was like, when the world zigs, you have to zag. And I'll say my my now husband, who was my boyfriend at the time, it's so cute. He literally has on his calendar the day Learn Best was born legally, like because his dad was my lawyer. It's May of 2007, by the way. I can't even tell you the date, but it's on his calendar. And every year he's like, you know, congrats. And I think the fact that I'd been working on it for a year plus by the time I was at HBS, it was so alive in me. It was this thing that was being born that I couldn't ignore. And then as Lehman Brothers went under, I was like, the world is just giving me the window and I just have to have the courage to jump and to actually go build it. And so just this message in my head was like, when the world zigs, you have to zag. When the world runs one way, run the other way. Go find the place that no one else is looking. I've been comfortable being a contrarian for a really long time in my life. And I think that was one thing that I, I didn't know how to verbalize at that time. But I was totally comfortable being an oddball out. I didn't need other people to say, hey, great idea. In fact, everyone at that time told me I was a complete idiot. And I just had to trust my instincts and learn to be okay with being alone. When I think about one of your greatest skills is the ability to have people invest in your idea, whether that was backing LearnVest, the acquisition, or raising now two rounds at Inspired. What's your key? I think for a lot of people, this is tough. Not only pitching, getting comfortable with it, but how to tell the story and the confidence to do it. What are some things that have helped you? So first of all, I'm flattered that you think I'm great at that. I always say like ABL, always be learning. You're always getting better. In general, investors want to know that they're with somebody who is going to work extremely hard, but also doesn't feel like they have all the answers and is comfortable learning and listening to others. But I think one of the things that I've always put work into is I built a 10-year plan for LearnVest. For Inspired, I wrote a 10-year business plan for Inspired. And I said, here's where we're going to go. Here's what this is going to look like. Here's our point of view of, of what I think is possible. And I think the thoughtfulness, the thoroughness, and you know one of the big tricks for Inspired, which is no trick at all, which is the team has worked together collectively now for 68 years. And as you know, Danielle, everything's about people. And so the other thing is always getting the best people and bringing them together, really exceptional people that have just high connectivity and trust. 
is a really key ingredient pretty much anything in life, as you know. And so I would just say it's it's the legwork that goes in. And then it really is just the right people and, and creating something special. It's Those are the key ingredients, hard work and the right people. What do you look for in the people around you? The first I'll, I'll just say is exceptionalism. There's something that they are truly exceptional at. But I will say it's, it's a humility of not being very open-minded to assuming that you you don't always have the answers. And a commitment to getting the right to getting the right answer, the right decision with no ego. The last ingredient, which is honestly the most important one, and I would have said it first, but I think you appreciate how my brain works, which is a genuine joy of the work. We genuinely love doing this. I think our founders feel it when they sit with us and inspired and they're pitching us. We want them to win. And so it's a genuine love of the game. And I think that that is probably the most important ingredient because it's what gets you out of bed every day wanting to do it 150%. You mentioned when you were going through that answer and you were like, oh, I'll get there. You know how my mind works. I actually want to talk about that. One of your best traits is your ability to download so much information at once. How do you describe that? I'm like, I'm smiling. Um, i also, just as you know, I have way too much energy. And so it's- So much. Like how much coffee do you drink a day? One and a half cups. That's it. And and you don't you don't sleep. Like literally my husband used to put me in bed jail. He'd be like, you have to go back to sleep. And I was yeah. like, I'm just awake. So just please let me out. So first of all, we all have our skill sets. I have many weaknesses. Maybe one of the things I'm hopefully pretty decent at is just- consuming lots and lots and lots of lots of information and like condensing it to the studs of what matters and doing that very quickly. And I think that's probably one of my skill sets, which is really at its core, I just call it strategy. It's being able to swim in a sea of noise and then being like, what's the right path forward and getting there in a a pretty timely manner. And I think that that's helpful, especially environments like right now, if you're a founder, it's like you, I would say I like the best founders who play chess. They know exactly where they want to go and they've thought a few moves ahead. And then they're just waiting for the right moment to make the moves. And so that's a a little bit of how my brain thinks. I want to call on your brain from the the venture capital side. First of all, can you skim for our listeners what venture capital actually is? First of all, I'm like, I obviously love the skim and I'm a big believer, but I just love that I get to skim venture capital for you. Go for it. (laughs) Let me start by saying at its simplest, what venture capital is, It's a pool of capital that someone's responsible for that is going out and backing often per fund about 20 to 30 companies where those founders are going to take a tiny idea and build hopefully a multi-hundred million, if not multi-billion dollar business. And so what venture capital is, it's a very risky form of investing, which is why we don't recommend everybody pull out their wallet and start doing it. And you have highly informed, educated, trained people who go and look at startup idea after startup idea. And you look for phenomenal founders in markets that are either very, very, very big or don't exist yet, where somebody's going and building a new opportunity. I simplify it's like it's absolute core. It's backing founders to go build the future of tomorrow. And so it's about making the world better, but that's what venture is in a in a heartbeat, backing founders uh, to go build the future of tomorrow. For our listeners who are out there and they have ideas, they're thinking about leaving their jobs, how do they know if they are a good candidate for venture funding? So right now, it seems like venture funding is everywhere. Yeah. 
But if you think about classic venture, classic venture is really looking for businesses that can get very, 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 very big. So software businesses, technology businesses. You know, I think uh, in the past, you've seen people being like, hi, I'm starting a cupcake shop. And they're coming pitching the venture world. And you're like, that's really not a venture business unless there's some technology we don't know about or there's some major online distribution you know, hack that we don't know about. But in general, things like restaurants and service stores and in general, uh, you know, a cupcake shop is not a venture business, right? That's a business that's looking for startup capital. That's a business that's looking for help me turn the lights on so I can get profitable on my own. Venture businesses are businesses where there's a real reason that you need upfront capital. You know, LearnVest was a good example. We were a registered investment advisor. We had a regulated entity. We had to take really major precautions. We just spend many dollars upfront to be able to exist. But we were building a software business long-term. And so venture businesses tend to be businesses that have major potential. Uber, Airbnb, businesses that get, can get very, very, very big, almost unfathomably big if they go well. And so that's really what venture businesses are looking for. Not a, I'm online and I'm trying to sell new earrings, right? Like, unless it's a net a porte and it's a totally new strategy and a new brand that gives you a sense of how I think about kind of classic venture businesses or really new innovation, new technology, something really, really powerful that doesn't exist yet. So historically, the VC world has been a lot of white guys, not a lot of women, not a lot of people of color, both on making the decisions and who's getting the dollars. When you started Inspired, what was your take on that? So what's funny is I've always been like an oddball. I remember back to the early days of LearnVest, literally the headline was female founder and female VC match made in heaven because the odds were like 0.01%. I mean, it was something crazy. And back then I didn't have time to be like, oh, I'm young and I'm white and I'm a female blonde. Like I, I literally was just like, I have to get my business off the ground. I have to figure it out. So I've always been kind of head down, do the hard work. Fast forward to today, Inspired is one of the top one, two, three, depending on how you slice it, newest female-led venture funds in the country. We have three female partners of four partners, so 75% female-led. We are a generalist fund, so we don't only invest in anybody. We're, you know, we're looking for the best ideas. And I'm really proud of that fact. I think what's been amazing, I don't disparage any funds out there. I think all of them are becoming more diverse, and that's wonderful. One of the things I'm really proud of is just like our core DNA of Inspired, I always say, was built modern. Out of the gate, we had gender diversity, physical age diversity. We had ethnic diversity. We were just born modern and it wasn't something where we had to go back and fix it or add somebody to it. And as you know, cultures are created early. And what I love about our founders is they've been showing up really excited to have such a diverse team of investors on their cap table. For us, it's it's just like a natural way for us to think about who we are because we were just born this way in, in terms of our DNA. And I think people really appreciate that. We built 10 businesses among our founding team. So if you want to come to knowledgeable people on building businesses, come chat with us. What I do love is the number of founders who've just been so excited that we are different and that we we look and feel differently. And I've been almost surprised by how enthusiastic people have been. That's been wonderful. And you are one of the largest new female founded VC firms. How do you think that goes into the culture of Inspired? And do you think that changes the lens in which you look at potential investments? 
absolutely showing up in a lot of stats and I'm rattling these from memory, but you know, 40% of our founders are female or have a female uh, co-founder or founder. Our diversity metrics are significantly higher. And I just think we know all the data, right? When you have archetypes at the top that look and feel differently, a lot of founders show up to that. And, you know, I launched Inspired when I was eight months pregnant with my third child. And the other thing is I, I also, I think we invite founders of a lot of different lifestyle choices too, because we recognize, you know, we're sitting here and we have little kids and we work full time. And what I hope it's doing is just showing very different archetypes of what is possible. And really just, you know, I'm really proud to say, hopefully changing just what we think of as this industry. And what I hope that translates to is not only phenomenal returns, but also just backing many different shapes and sizes of founders. When people come to pitch you at Inspired, what's the biggest mistake you see them make or like the most frequent mistake? Two things. I think one is you really need to know your business plan. You need to know chapter one, chapter two, chapter three, and where as you continue to do well, your business earns the right to do more with your customer. And so sometimes I find founders haven't thought far enough out. And that's not to say it's going to be perfect, right? Everything I have come up with in my own career is blurry. You know, you're supposed to be nimble and keep iterating, but just thinking far enough out, like what could this be? How big could this be? What could this look like? So that's number one. And then the second, as I think right now, are being coached to a tilt. It's just in this environment, I like to throw all of that away. And I often ask founders, I say, put your veneer down. We're just two people thinking about an idea and trying to build a great idea together. And I think at the end of the day, Danielle, you know this, you've been building a business for a decade. Like it is a labor of love. It's something you deeply need to love. And so one, you want the people around the business to love the business. You want them to care about the business. You want them to care about you as founders. And I think each company, each idea needs its own really thoughtful group of humans around it to get it right. Those are key ingredients. It's all about do you have the right brains for that idea at the table? And so I think the best founders kind of approach fundraising, mentorship, really with the, I'm obsessed with my idea and I want the best brains around my idea. And then the greatness comes. The right people show up. The right people put their hands up to be behind it because the founder's commitment to the idea is so genuine and so deep. I think not enough has been talked about the mental health toll that entrepreneurs experience. When you think about, you know, inspired being focused on fantastic founders and entrepreneurs and talk about being a builder's builder, what are some of the things that you guys have seen in the past 18 months you've seen people struggle with and any things that have helped? Sure. Uh, so first, it's an understatement to say um, that being a founder is hard and takes a toll. I actually say this, it took me a while to come up with this, but it's the only job that as you get better at it as a founder, it rewards you with greater complexity. So it rewards you with harder problems. It's the only job that you're finally like, oh God, I just solved that big, awesome problem. Ooh, I'm a t-. Nope. The next one is like, even harder and the learning curve is even steeper. And so it rewards you with complexity. And then you throw in a global pandemic. And then you throw in everything else that we've been through this last year and a half. The way Inspired approached it is literally, we always say, we, we want to be there with our founders, like cheering when things go well and celebrating. And as you've seen, like I'm a celebrator for people when things are happening. 
But I think a more important kind of commitment is when things are not working and when things are really scary and it gets dark. And I think the beginning of COVID, what was amazing was, you know, having a business partner, Penny Pritzker, whose brother is the governor of Illinois, who has access to information and just data that most 20-year-olds and the internet doesn't necessarily have yet. And just experience of living through many cycles. The way we approached it was we just got very active very quickly. We literally by roughly March 15th-ish, said to everybody, there's a really good chance that you're going to be working like this through the end of the year, which at that point, when you're like four days into working from home and trying to figure out like, how do I have a desk? Just trying to be very action-oriented, creating plan A, plan B, plan C, and just like cutting through the noise of like, what do you need to do to make sure you're in a great spot? And we were really fortunate. Our companies were all relatively brand new. They had tons of capital. So there wasn't terrible darkness at that moment in terms of the businesses. But then it was also, how do you lead through Zoom? And just cutting to the quick quickly, because we always say companies only die for two reasons. You run out of cash or you run out of cash. So it was, what's your plan A, plan B, plan C? And I always joke that there's like got to be that plan E, which is like worst case scenario, you know how to live. And so just getting really, really active. And I think a lot of people freeze and have paralysis during rough moments. Like, and that's the inverse for us. Like we get very, very action oriented coming up with here's scenarios. Here's how to think. Here's what we should be doing and arming people with the right information they need so that they can be action oriented. And then finally, just being a, a genuine, I call it psychological safety, Danielle, but, and you've heard me say this to you 10 times, founders just need the space to get everything out of their head. You're not going to have all the right answers. You're not expected to but being able to have the psychological safety to say, here's what I'm worried about. Here's what I'm thinking and saying, no, that's a bad idea. This is a good idea. What do you think about this? And it's not, you know, we don't approach it as we have all the right answers and you don't have to all the right answers, but actually it's the camaraderie of going and, and spitballing between that helps us get to the right answers. I want to go to a listener question. And I think this one is really interesting and also segues to something I want to talk about, which is the fact that you have had LearnVest, you started Inspired, and in that you've had three kids, super cute, energetic little kids. The listener question is from Lauren. She wants to know, Alexa, has your approach to family money changed since having kids? It's a great question. And the answer is, of course. You know, at each chapter in your life, how you think about money evolves. I'm really focused on making sure that we teach our children to fish literally and to teach them all the skill sets that they need. And so I'm really thoughtful of how our children watch us spend money. And my husband and I have talked about this a lot. We believe good value systems. You can ask my kids, what's mommy's first and second favorite word. It's love and hard work. And really just like making sure it's about the reps of them seeing things. So if you kind of hype point tips of my own like rules and money with kids. I'm work in progress too. So hopefully these are my best tips and I'm always open to to learning more. One, I talk about work, not as I'm so sorry, mommy has to go to work. I actually say mommy is so lucky she gets to go to work. And I tell my kids, you know how you love puzzles. Mommy loves puzzles. She's good at them. She loves to do them all day. And so mommy loves going to work because I think orienting work is this thing that is like, oh, I got to go work. It's literally how we earn our livelihood. But also there's so many psychological benefits to work. We all don't do well without routines. Just in general, work is a pretty key ingredient. Next, I'm really mindful of like the miracle arm that's Amazon that just like delivers things to the door. Literally making sure my kids understand, hey, these groceries cost this and that's mommy and daddy work hard and that's why we get to do this. Because otherwise it's just 
there's no tangible anything. And then finally, each of my kids has many bank accounts, many, and one big one for college and medium one for high school, and then a few small ones for things that they're excited about. And we take tangible coins, which I will tell you, I have to go find coins sometimes because <laughs> I'm not... I'm a more, you know, I'm a forward-looking crypto future of the wallet, um, which is what my second book was about. But it's watching them see and learn the math and the physical nature and then understanding the spend and making it very real. And of course, we'll translate that to digital soon and we'll get them a little fake, you know, debit card. But it's just the way you learn math is is very visual often. And so helping them really see that. So that's a little bit of how we think. And then kids are expensive. And so for every family, money, when you have little kids, is a new stressful topic. And so just making sure my husband and I have really good habits for talking about those things. That's great. When you think about you had your first kid, I think the same week, Learn Best Sold. I think you had Rosie when you were starting Inspired. Yep. The pandemic has thrown off my my sense of time. Is there anything that's evolved? I'm sure a lot has evolved. Um, <laughs> when you think about your views of being a working mom when you were at at that moment at LearnVest to now running a fund, having your third kid. Being a working parent is is genuinely so hard. It's just hard because there's only so many minutes in a day and time management is probably like you asked if I actually had a talent. I think time management maybe actually might, maybe I got that wrong. I think it's probably time management. And I think one of the ways I sort of approach it is I have the messiest life. And I think in the same way I kind of approach entrepreneurship, it's about like enjoying the journey. It's about enjoying every day. It's about enjoying that chapter. It's about not taking the highs too high and not making the lows too low. And just like approaching it day by day. But the one thing that kids really teach you, first of all, they're a joy unlike any other in life. They're an antidote to the stress of of companies. In fact, I tell founders that all the time. So I have one piece of advice. People are like, what's your time management skills? I'm like, it's actually really simple. My mom, my whole life was like, if you love what you do, you'll never work a day in your life. You've heard that. I've heard that. We've all heard that a thousand times. And it's actually the opposite. It's if you love what you do, you will work every day of your life with no boundaries. It'll be very messy. It'll be very blurry. Your feelings will be hurt because you will care. And I think it's just a better way to live. And so just it's messy and that's okay. And have a phenomenal team of humans that can help. And even then there's going to be days where it just doesn't work and that's okay. Okay. Last question. Who is someone else we should have on the show? Oh gosh, I have so many. Okay. No particular order. You should have a phenomenal founder named Bryn Rojas of Hobby on the show. So you should have Bryn from Hobby. She's the founder of Hobby. You should have Stephanie from Orem. You should have Carolyn from Chief. There's some amazing authors you should have on. The writer of Maud Dixon, I read it over the weekend. It's such a great book. She's a phenomenal new novelist. That's a good list. Alexa, congratulations on everything. And thank you for coming back on the podcast. Danielle, as always, you're the best. I'm a biggest skimmer. Thank you guys so much for having me. I'm honored. Thanks for listening to this episode of 9 to 5-ish with The Skim. A new episode will be in your feed again next Wednesday. In the meantime, check out our news podcast, Skim This. Every Thursday, we cover what you need to know each week in 30 minutes or less. 